Welcome to The Catalyst, where we explore creative ideas to spark innovation in an unhealthy healthcare system. I'm your host, Dr. Lara Salyer, a physician and mom of three who is reimagining the way I practice medicine after suffering and overcoming burnout. Join me as I teach you how to optimize flow and catalyze your own revolution in healing. Tune in for candid conversations with leading experts in conventional and holistic healthcare who dare to believe a better future is possible for all of us. Life is made of teeny catalytic moments of immense impact. When strung together, the transformation is magical. Join us and let's color outside the lines. Welcome to this episode of the Catalyst Podcast. You're going to meet Mike Safer. He leads health consultancies focused on brand and organizational transformation. He is the CEO of both Haley Salt, the digital performance marketing firm for health and wellness brands, and the Institute for Healthcare Excellence, creating performance-driven cultures with enhanced well-being, greater stability, and new capacities for growth. He is co-founder of the Believe in Better Project, an annual workshop bringing together some of North America's leading health visionaries to perpetuate the continued transformation of a healthcare system in crisis. He's co-host of the Haley Salt Believe in Better podcast and a frequent speaker on subjects related to brand and cultural transformation. Away from work, Mike and his family of five live out the purpose of creating a healthier world by soaking up life between Northern Minnesota and Sun Valley, Idaho. So this was a really fun conversation. He, you know, really unpacked a lot of what cultural transformation can look like inside of an institution. I really enjoyed his discussion on creating this empathetic culture. And it's not just lip service that he talks about how having a common language, a common skill set can help make daily work in a healthcare institution more compassionate and cohesive so that there is less burnout. And this isn't just saying, okay, you have 90 minutes for every patient visit, but really having these skill sets that drive conversation and compassion so you feel seen and heard as a provider. This is really transformational. I love what he's doing. And this is similar to other agencies in the healthcare space trying to navigate culture transformation when we are stuck in a data-driven world, stuck in front of our computers, stuck in metrics as the measurement of our worth as practitioners, and nothing could be further from the truth. So this was a fun conversation with Mike and hopefully not the only conversation. I believe he's on to great things. So listen to our interview and check him out at Instagram.com, Mike Safer, or on Twitter and LinkedIn. So enjoy. Welcome to the Catalyst Podcast. This is a treat. Today, we are talking with Mike Seifer. He leads health consultancies focused on brand and organizational transformation. And I just wanted to jump right into conversation because I have a feeling we could talk for three hours. Uh, He is a catalyst of transformation in the health space. He is focused on alleviating burnout. He is everything that I wish more people would understand about this heart-centered profession that has been led astray and witnessing the grief that comes with that when the landscape of medicine is so different than what is in front of us. And when we signed up as doctors and nurses and health professionals to serve and help, and then it's a bait and switch. Now we're robots trying to enter and click data and try to stay above water. So I am grateful for his presence today. Thank you for being here, Mike. Thanks for having me, Laura. Yeah. So if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about you and and how you got into this space. Well, I, uh, I backed into everything. I actually have a teaching degree and never really uh, got into teaching. Um, not because I didn't love it, but uh, I got a job right out of college that just paid more money. So that that seems like a kind of a, 
a cop-out, but you know, that's the way it was. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, later in my career kind of got into a tech startup in 98, uh, went to a big, uh, ad agency in Minneapolis and then came back to Northern Minnesota to get into, uh, marketing and that agency, this current agency, uh, started or a previous uh, iteration of this current agency started specializing in healthcare in about 2004, 2007, somewhere around there. And through all of that work, really gained a, a, an incredible appreciation for the dynamics of healthcare uh, and and what its best, you know, at its best it could be. And then um, had a really interesting experience from about 2015 to 2018 worked inside a health system in hudson county new jersey and so got to really see uh the inside of of how uh, a health system worked uh from a kind of colleague perspective uh, ser uh serving as its svp of marketing for a couple of years and then finally um in a sort of interesting turn of events acquired another consultancy the institute for healthcare excellence uh, last year, who had been a former client uh, and whose mission and values were really uh, aligned with Haley Sue's and uh, have spent the last year delving into this cultural transformation uh, and working to help turn around cultures that are, you know, too impacted by burnout and the negative things that have uh, uh, really sort of, well, they existed before COVID, mm -hmm. got exacerbated by COVID and unfortunately uh, haven't really been able to be turned around just yet. Well, that is a laudable uh, mission because I know spending a short amount of time, even just in burnout conferences, which mm -hmm. I know people that have listened, I've, I've recommended that it's a, a warning, you know, uh, because there's triggers in those burnout conferences. It's really yeah, right. deep, you know, it's complex, it's sad. We're losing more and more physicians to, you know, suicide and illicit drug use. And it's just a complex problem of a, a culture that is out of our hands. And I love that you're interested in transforming that culture. I, I believe that years ago, physicians were happier because we had more control over the culture, the little mm -hmm. ecosystem we practiced in. We could control our schedule. We knew the staff we're working with. Um, and it's kind of become out of our hands where we're just part of the cogwheel of a big factory system that we have no say in autonomy. And it really makes us feel disempowered. So what would be, at a high level view, what were your observations as you're stepping into these systems? Obviously, they called you in and, and you feel compassion, compassionate to help. What mm -hmm. are you learning as you're doing your work daily? Well, I I think the one of the biggest dynamics is the the business of healthcare unfortunately becomes business number one. And and I don't think that that's anything new to your listeners and and probably through the the last decade of consolidation so I, I believe that the, through the de last decade or so of consolidation of mergers and acquisitions, listen, those are all business decisions. And so one thing begets another and, and what you focus on becomes bigger. And so so that becomes the key driver of uh, M&A activity. So we need to get more productivity, more efficiency out of uh, now this new integrated system. And, and that becomes the organizational imperative. And then you throw on uh, a true crisis in the pandemic and organ healthcare organizations are actually not structured in my opinion and, and experience 
to be healthy organizations. Like culturally, like the the things that are focused on on the patient about the patient. So ideal outcomes, um, getting back to a state of health. A lot of health systems. So wearing our marketing hat, we will talk about creating healthier communities uh, as opposed to just sick care, but from the institute perspective that same notion of hey we're here to serve the patient like the employees unfortunately are some of the last to be served and so the and I, by employees i mean nurses physicians caregivers yes. of all sorts like they're the they're the last to be served and so it's hard now i own and work with two companies where culture is an imperative for us like that is what has allowed us to get through the pandemic is our culture our team our trust my commitment to uh our teams and their commitment back to me as owner and so i can tell you that uh, at a much much smaller scale than the several thousand employee uh, uh health systems for which we work like that is what gets you through the tough times financially you know it's not like we had an easy pandemic experience either financially but i do believe when you recognize that talent is your greatest resource uh you will get paid back in the long run absolutely in all of the teachings even with culture transformation on a business level but as healthcare as well you know in when we talk about the neuroscience of flow, which is when we are having all five neurochemicals of happiness, we're in the zone, we all experience it. It can be playing basketball or strumming on your guitar, but you can experience it in work. And that yeah. is what I want to bring to healthcare because doctors used to be able to be in their own flow, auto zone space where they're mm-hmm. just feeling that that beautiful um, collaboration with their team, as you describe. And that is further and further divorced from the more administrators we add, the more middle managers. And suddenly, just like you said, and I'm chuckling because our local hospital recently did their usual employee survey and Mm. all the questions were not asking about the employees. They were asking, how do you think the patients are feeling? How, when is, you know, it's all patient directed, which is fine but they're not taking care of their employees. Their employees are leaving. We're having high turnover rate. It's being bought out again. You know, all these things are at the front and center. So if you could design an ideal culture, a catalyst culture of really impactful change in healthcare, what would that look like to you? So I think the two words that I would would start with would be human-centered. So human-centeredness around each other and each other, like, recognizing that both not only the person sitting across the exam room or or table or whatever it is from you but that that colleague that is there preceding that visit after that visit that you're walking down the hallway with like how do we how do we keep strong connections across all that and so i think fundamentally the skills to to be able to have strong relationships like that and it's that trust that it's at the core of a relationship the the mutual mutuality mutualness whatever however i'm uh butchering that that is at the core and so i know that's idealistic and not exactly specific but let's face it that today in a fast-paced disjointed world working remotely working in uh, whatever environment we are working in, whether you're in person, remote, or just uh, 
this this back and forth state one of the things we've lost is our ability to really connect with each other and Absolutely. so th this you know sitting across from you is great today meeting each other first time so it's open new doors and our, our ability to actually see each other uh and i know your listeners will only be hearing it but you and i get to see each other yes. and react to, to the things we're saying but that's great for a while and uh, so again, getting back to human-centered skills that allow us to maintain those relationships, that trust, that level of engagement that brings satisfaction to us. Because it's really not the act of, man, I I got through my checklist of 50 things I needed to get done today, or this many patients, like I hit my productivity requirements or my RVUs or whatever it is. Like, yeah, that's not what makes us feel great. What makes us feel great at the end of the day is that connection. And right. I don't care. I don't care what industry you're in. Like, yes, you, you know, you, your sense of accomplishment is impacting somebody that you care about. Somebody yes. that, and, you know, sometimes we're in a foxhole together and sometimes we're laughing our ass off, you know, just having a great conversation. And, and all that stuff is really like, you don't walk, you don't come home at the end of the day and, and tell your significant other, man, I got my checklist done today. You, right. talk, you talk about the human experiences. Like I saw somebody today, or I had this experience today. Like that's the stuff that we remember. And that's the stuff, that's the stuff that we bring home and including the pain, you know, the, the things that didn't go well, the things that that baggage that we bring to uh, our home. But then again, Understanding that, you know, that I have the ability to go from this more and more highly intensive uh, environment of care, and now I have to exist outside of that too. And so, like, how am I still going to be, in my case, uh, a good father, a good husband, a good buddy and friend to, to several people? Uh, and, and I'm helping a friend right now who's going through kind of a tough time. And just shared with him that, you know, dude, like you don't really have the skills to get yourself out of this. And sometimes we, you know, the rut that you're in. Yeah. And so sometimes we just need somebody to give us some perspective, steer us in the right direction and uh, show us the path to, you know, sustain a better uh, level of happiness. I love this. And this is so, oh, so crucial and important. And I forget the study that was published uh, I don't know if it was, I don't remember what uh, journal, but it was in regards to what keeps us doing our job. And you you said it exactly. It's any industry. It's not just medicine, but they did a study where if people were working hard enough, they would be rewarded with some kind of monetary gift certificate, or they could be rewarded with praise inside the company in front mm -hmm. of their peers. People had more pleasure out of the praise and the inclusiveness and being in the team together than a monetary gift card, because it isn't about the money or the checks or the RVUs. It's a cohesiveness that we want to do this as a, a call. It's, a, it's our calling. You know, physicians and nurses pick their career because it's a calling. And when you've stripped all of that away and it becomes just like like teachers testing mm. scores yeah. you know metrics then we feel so like isolated it's not why we're here um never mind that and that was a big tipping point for me is helping a morning full of patients some of them 
getting them acute help for suicidal ideation and mm -hmm. helping a grieving widow and suturing up a laceration and then meeting my meeting at noon and being told, well, my tetanus vaccinations aren't up to par. So there's going to be less reimbursement. And it's like, how is that even like you're missing the point? Um, and so I love that you're bringing that humanness back because true culture is what will keep staff happy and engaged and mm -hmm. we need that community especially when physicians are scared to reach out due to licensing and admit that they're sure. having struggles um there's so much of this hopefully that in 20 years will be improved so tell me how are you making this more human-centered so one of the things that uh, at the institute for healthcare excellence that we're doing is uh at its core we uh share skills uh relational skills that help uh, physicians and nurses uh, relate to each other, to patients, to be, for instance, present uh, in the moment, and, and and having skills that that we can practice to be present, uh, to be mindful, uh, to act, uh, ask uh, questions, uh, to practice reflective listening, uh, to demonstrate empathy and understanding about what somebody else is going. Uh, through, as opposed to sort of sitting in front of uh, Epic or whatever it is, one eye on the patient, one eye on the computer, and and your third eye on your watch, uh, and recognizing that when we can practice those things, even within, and the the answer isn't, hey, we just need to spend more time with patients. I mean, that is an answer, but if we think about the quality of time that we are spending with each other, colleagues and patients. Uh, so we we help deliver a set of skills that allows our clients to to experience of all all that. The outcomes then are we just uh, finished work with a client in suburban Detroit for their family birth center team, and we saw over the course of a year burnout scores uh, re being reduced uh, across the department by nearly five percent, and within certain units in the department by as much as eighteen percent by having skills to be focused on each other to communicate to be again present mindful ask uh, uh questions reflective listening and so just a number of those skills but when we practice those and they become reinforced amongst our colleagues and supported by that yes. then there's then there's that team so i'll just give you a quick anecdote um uh a nurse that was in this uh unit um uh, she was struggling with a patient who who uh, who was late term pregnancy, who uh, wanted to uh, go home, and she was really struggling to talk with her and listen and understand what was going on, and maybe getting to the root of what she was experiencing. So she walked out and she shared with her nurse colleague that she was struggling uh, with this, and her and her nurse colleague said, "Hey." why don't you practice a couple of these skills you know put these into practice they did a, maybe a 30 second just reinforcement of that and then she said and if you go back in and try this and if you're still struggling i'll be right out here come get me like i'll be here to support you so uh she went back in and the woman uh shared a little bit more and they actually took her to uh, labor and delivery like right away and she ended up having uh the baby within a couple of hours, like had she gone home, it might've been a crisis situation. So as a result of putting, you know, being mindful, being present and having the courage to uh, listen reflectively and ask some questions, she got to the heart of the matter and, you know, arguably 
saved either the mother or the child's life. But again, then it was that we've practiced these skills together. So I'm here for you. Uh, and so like that level of satisfaction, gratification of that impacting yes. another human and also having the trust of somebody that you work, that you're in the foxhole with, like that, that's the kind of skills that the, uh, yes, that it's we, a common, yeah, it's a common language. And, and, yeah. you know, when they understand, you know, and, and it sounds like lip service, oh, well, motivational interviewing or mindfulness. And, yeah, you know, yeah. there, there have been studies that show the contraindication. Like if you tell people, okay, at 9am every day, we're going to do a pause. We're going to be mindful. It backfires because sure. nobody likes to be forced. But when you're educating on this common culture, this, this language, this vocabulary, a set of skill sets. I mean, this is, you know, teaching, you know, interoception is a wise and wonderful tool that, you know, I like to teach in my, in my mentoring and in my flow classes, because it's very similar knowing where your emotions are in your body. And right. we get disconnected from that as clinicians, because we're trained to be disconnected. We're supposed to, you know, be competent under stress and show up where we can. And so we lose and atrophy that mindfulness, that interoceptive feeling right. of recognizing when we need to take a pause and when we need to be mindful. And when we train that up, we become better emotional regulators, better communicators, more intuitive decision makers. And this is the, this is the magic of medicine is right. it is a blend of science and just being human and intuitive. So I love that you're training this up and allowing people to recapture that human experience that brought them into medicine in the first place. Um, when you work with, uh, systems is this hospital wide is it residencies like tell me more about the systems yeah. that you like to work with so it's more um it's generally by uh department so you know and an ed uh family birth center uh just different departments uh it's a trainer trainer uh methodology so we provide and help uh give uh, these skills to a core group that uh, can go out and sort of uh train their colleagues uh, and so it propagates, it can it propagate and cross an entire uh, hospital uh, over a period of two to three years, given that train the trainer sort of methodology. Um, but I want to, I want to go back to something you said, like that idea of the sort of like rote stuff that, that we've all seen, you know, and maybe experience like, okay, uh, at nine o'clock, I want you to practice this. Like, man, that stuff falls off pretty quick. Right. I mean, so here's a skill or a tool. Like I want you to open this app at uh, this time or make sure that you open the app and check these couple of boxes. Like that's BS. You know, like we, I, I know very few people that have ever thrived in a situation like that or using tools like that or a methodology where it is so fixed. Um, because again, like we need the ability right now to stay agile in an ever-changing environment yes. but but to have these human skills uh in order to to cope process and just optimize our, our our capacity for growth our capacity for understanding whatever that capacity building that we need is did you know that you can teach yourself how to prime your brain for more creativity and flow and when you do you gain 100 percent more meaning 200% more learning, 450% more innovation, and 500% more productivity. I've used my training from the Flow Research Collective to design a unique program specifically for medical professionals. I'll teach you my three-step catalyst aha system 
that infuses more ease and joy into your work-life masterpiece. The more you practice, the more intuitive it gets. Twice a year, I host the Catalyst Symposium, a five-day virtual boot camp to learn these flow-channeled and anti-burnout techniques. We meet for one hour a day for five days of powerful transformation. Here's a glimpse. Each day, we'll cover the essentials of this method to capture flow. You'll get daily live Zoom webinars with recordings, a downloadable playbook to jumpstart your creativity, clear understanding of the neuroscience of burnout and flow, a personalized burnout assessment, core values identification, neuroscience-based time management tips that work, cortisol-busting methods to lower your sympathetic drive, and evidence-based exercises that prime your parasympathetic calm. Finally, you'll learn exactly how to build your own personalized flow recipe. Here's some testimonials from past participants. It's well worth your lunch hour. This is detailed and action-oriented. This is not your typical burnout seminar. And I would highly recommend this to any student, resident, doctor, or nurse. I only open my enrollment twice a year. Introductory price is $69 and seats are limited. Use the coupon code podcast to get 10% off. Head to drlarasalier.com forward slash symposium to learn more. Yeah, it's so important in this critical time. We see what the more complicated medicine has become. Mm -hmm. It's difficult for young medical students and nurses just to grasp even just the academic facts that are in front of us. And so some of the best times that I've had in small groups with residents is helping them, you know, create something for fun and have improv like yes and or creative drawing or movement because it allows them to play in a controlled environment. And then those skills show them that they can fail in a controlled environment. They've got their colleagues to, sure. to help them through. And then it's this translatable skill set that just keeps perpetuating that they can use this, this trainable skill in order to be flexibly, you know, flexible in their thinking and, yeah. you know, cognitively nimble, like you said. Mm -hmm. um, so what are some examples? Uh, you mentioned that example in the OB in the family birth department, which is incredible. And it sounds like what you're doing is, like you said, planting the seeds of this tapestry of a cat of a, a culture change that you're, you're kind of um, giving them a new way of thinking and existing and a communicating and you mm -hmm. measure burnout. What other things do you measure for outcomes? Thriving. So we like to see thriving scores go up, reduction in errors. We like to see reduction in turnover, frankly. Nice. Um, so other quality and safety measures go up as a result of this. So for example, when you think about quality and safety, uh, the ability to have a patient interaction and through practicing some of these skills, getting to the real root uh, issues that somebody might be experiencing instead of some of the superficial ones, right? So somebody presents themselves and they're experiencing, you know, some kind of condition and maybe the first protocol is, okay, great antibiotics, or, you know, uh, let's see how it goes over the next couple of days, if it still persists, but maybe like my side ache isn't really, isn't really a side ache. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm drinking too much and, you know, so there are other factors that are contributing to this, or maybe I'm on a positive note, I'm exercising too much, you know, and are doing something, right. but, but typically because of productivity requirements, we're kind of like, okay, uh, you've presented the first thing. And so my, my first diagnosis is this, but when we take the time to actually listen 
uh, ask questions, we generally get to real true root causes of things. And so my dad, for example, uh, met with his physician and somebody he's seen for a long time, and he ended up having his uh, diaphragm and his right lung isn't, isn't working. And so he was out of breath and it took probably three visits to really understand that this wasn't just a, uh, a superficial type of experience. And, and some of that is natural. It takes a, you know, a little time to get, you're not going to get to something like that right away, but that, that uh, ability to ask the right questions naturally gets us to better quality and safety, the reduction in safety issues. And so Overall, then that entire you're asking what we measure. I'm giving you uh, many yeah. different responses. Yeah, but, but we see colleague engagement scores go up, uh, really healthy. We see the you know the ROI on. Uh, we see turnover go down. And nice. if we think about the the cost of anywhere from, I mean, you can read any number of averages. So the cost to recruit a new nurse can range from 30 to $50,000 and more and new physician, you know, different statistics site from a half a million to a million dollars or more to recruit a, a, a physician that has left. And so, uh, and, and the cost of yeah, getting them up to right? speed, it, it, revenue, all that stuff. Yeah. These are, these are huge metrics that, that definitely we need to get a handle on because turnover alone, I mean, it, it does, it's a, such deep pockets to recruit and retain good yeah physicians and nurses. And, and, you know, in Wisconsin, there's a big initiative with the Wisconsin Medical Society to really redirect attention back to our physicians and offer this private coaching modality. Cause we're finding that when you implement physician coaches, they do better, you know, it's the whole systems approach of, you know, when you have a peer to peer, you know, feeling that you understand somebody's there for you, you do see improved metrics across the board. So let's get granular. If, if it's okay with you, I'd like to know, you know, I have a lot of, uh, different industries listening from just mm -hmm. private practitioners to, you know, C-level um, people. So when you work with a department and you are setting up your systems for them, is it a one-year timeframe? And do you have, how, how frequent are the visits? How does your team yeah. deploy this modality? So depending on the, the engagement. So we have a bigger engagement that uh, is really more solutions for thriving. And that's about a one-year experience. And that includes things like culturally sensitive communication, part of the curriculum, doing some human-centered design. So again, another client we worked with, they were having some issues in their hand, the room where they hand off uh, patients uh, and in front of the board. And so there were some real negative experiences happening as, as physicians were sharing uh, patient cases and they were talking about them and really only talking uh, about that amongst themselves. And then nurses are sort of behind them and they're looking at the board. And, and so not real positive colleague uh, interaction. So part of uh, that overall solution, and that, that was a year long uh, engagement, identifying where those roadblocks to some of these uh, organizational cultural things are and applying a human-centered design methodology to solve them for the long term. So the easier relational, not easier, but the relational skills, uh, that is usually a, a quarter long engagement followed by about a year of support and coaching to make sure that that uh, trainer trainer methodology modality is, is being effective. Uh, solutions for thriving to get to a real 
Uh, and when I suggested that we saw burnout scores change uh, and thriving scores change in our recent example, that was through a year-long uh, initiative uh, with Solutions for Thriving. And so, you know, that also includes things, again, culturally, like, and, and something that is impacting us across the country as we become more diverse. Ideally, we become more diverse. Mm -hmm. Like that, 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 that work to communicate not only with patients, but with each other yes. and culturally and other language that is sensitive, thoughtful, and yes. helps, again, help support each other as humans, the person we're working alongside. So that uh, is number, beautiful. Yeah. You want to be inclusive and yeah. yeah and understand that just, you know, just the whole disparities we have in health, you know, it's, it's sad. And you're working to bridge that with common language, which again, right. is so impactful as we bring each of our own worldview into work, you know, having a, a trusted space that we can unpack some of that with our colleagues, I would imagine is very transformational. And yeah. I, I think that is the key to this slow change back into better culture that is, is more inclusive and allows thriving uh, rather than just surviving, you know, white knuckling oh it through gosh. another day. When we went and did that work in Hudson County, now that was on the marketing side before we really got into the work with the Institute. I mean, I'm, I'm a white guy from Northern Minnesota. I mean, as, as sort of <laughs> homogenous to Northern Minnesota as you can get. Without and, the accent, which I don't understand how you oh, got I, avoided I, that. I think it's there. If you hear me say Minnesota, like ah, you, you, you hit it right is. at the end. I there mean, I hit the Fargo uh, notes uh, <laughs> periodically. But being thrust into an environment which is maybe one of the most diverse in the whole United States, Hudson County is reportedly one of the most diverse counties in all of the United States, and really having to understand just how the way that I showed up, as thoughtful as I think I am, yeah, when I'm sitting across or sitting with, better way to say it, uh, people of different cultures, like what are some of understanding that some of the uh, even gender biases that exist within a culture, uh, some of the language uh, that different uh, cultures use uh, in everyday speak and how they refer to things. And, and my sort of uh, Midwestern classic uh, education background, how, how that like shows up to them. I mean, right. and, it, and it wasn't like, I, I think anybody yes. was like, Hey, man, nothing like, intentional. Yeah, no, yeah. no. And then, you know, I think I'm a very thoughtful, open person, but it but really, even that, like, I, I hate to interrupt. I'm so excited no, no, about this yeah. topic because this is something personally that I've been unpacking slowly and with more, I guess, uh, intentionality in the couple last couple of years is really trying to become more anti-racist, anti-oppressive and understanding and owning the privilege I have just being born as a white woman mm -hmm. and owning that and really being open to just saying, yes, I, this is who I am. And, and it is in fact going to come with inherent privileges, even if I'm intentionally trying to be aware and cognizant and supportive. And that's just some of the, just snapshot of the hidden ways that I think healthcare can continue to be insidiously uh, toxic because we aren't addressing those tiny things that make a huge impact on how we show up in the world. So I love that you're addressing this inclusivity and diversity. It's so important in healthcare. It really is. And uh, just a personal anecdote, uh, we work with a coach, their name is Jay Pryor, and we work, we've worked with Jay for uh, more than a, do, uh, a dozen years. 
so the first year we worked with Jay, like they made this incredible impact on our team, like human transformation, not not uh, like professional, like not teaching skills, right? So helping us identify uh, eight different happiness characteristics, cleaning up tolerations that are keeping us from sort of maximizing those characteristics and uh, any number of other skills. So Jay sort of was like this l- short, Irish leprechaun dude, beard, hairy arms, talked about lifting weights. So we worked with Jay for a year. And then it was October, I think, and National Coming Out Day. And Jay called me, said, Hey, Mike, uh, you know, I could talk to you a couple of things I just wanted to catch up on. Um, I was born a woman. And I was like, What? And, uh, and Jay shared their story. And Again, I you know your listeners won't see me, but I'm just a pretty typical, right? Midwest. Well, I mean, you're yeah, from Minnesota. Yeah, white, yeah. White yeah, yeah. So I said, Jay, the only thing I could tell you is like, man, I love you. Like uh, you know, like it made me feel like, and I to this day, in fact, I'm talking with Jay. Uh, Twelve years later, I'm talking with Jay this afternoon. Um, the most powerful person I've ever met. When you think about the courage, yes, that Dave. Uh, demonstrated to to be born and grow up a woman who became gay, who later became uh, transgender, who later be, now lives in a non-binary life. Like that courage, like if you can't be motivated or influenced yes. by somebody, like then you can't be motivated or influenced by anybody. So that's amazing and, and amazing to the testament of the kind of culture that you want to create. Because as you probably know, since we both are neighbors living in the Midwest, mm-hmm. Um, it isn't easy to be authentic. And especially if you're born in a body that you don't feel is your body or the skin, right. you know, different. it's it's a privilege even to say I can be authentic because that is a privilege that I can live every day and say I can be who I am. And not everybody has that safety. And, and it says a lot about you and the energy mm-hmm. you bring when Jay was able to say, hey, you know, this is who I am. And I love that you're, you're amplifying that kind mm-hmm. of message across healthcare because we need it. We, you know, we really need to create this safe and inclusive place for everybody, all race, all gender, all ethnicity, or else who are we, who are we serving? You know, and, and yeah. I think that's so crucial and important. See, I knew I could talk to you for hours. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. One, one yes. funny thing, we were work, we were doing some DEI work uh, on our teams last year. And uh, I mean, really being intentional about it. And we're actually like crafting our DEI statement. I shared it with Jay and another coach that we work with. And Jay would like respond like, hey, some of that's kind of bullshit. Like, you know, I mean, like you, <laughs> you, you think, and, and I was happy to get called out again, because yes, as, as intentional as we've been about this, like right. we're, we're just blind to some stuff that, you know, yeah. that we need other people to kind of go, hey, you need to like to twist it a little it. Yep. bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, agreed. That's good. Oh my goodness. So, okay. Where can people find you, work with you? Um, tell us where we can find you. Uh, so the Institute for Healthcare Excellence can be found at iheteam.com, also on LinkedIn. But uh, we have uh, Jennifer Krippner is our chief uh, experience officer, chief uh, medical officer, uh, Patrick Nealon, and uh, a bunch of just killer uh, faculty uh, that are contracted faculty who come from uh, all different backgrounds across the country. So iheteam.com and then Haley Sue on the uh, marketing transformation at Haley, uh, S-A-U-L-T.com. Uh, and again, on LinkedIn and other social media. 
Beautiful. This is amazing. And I'm not going to let you. you go without one more question, Mike, Yeah, yeah. Uh, because I'm on a mission to bring the sixth vital sign of creativity. You know, we've been concentrating on things that keep us alive, temperature, blood pressure, pulse, respiratory rate. Those are vital signs. We added pain as a vital sign years ago, and now we're surprised. Why is everybody having chronic mental illness and depression and suicidality? Because yeah. we've been concentrating on pain that sometimes is not fixable. Um, and what brings us vitality is flow and creativity, which is the sixth vital sign, um, because it really helps our inflammation. It lowers inflammation, helps our stress and cortisol. So what do you do for fun or how do you play in your life? Oh, man. Do you have two more hours? Because yeah, right, uh, right? I, I believe uh, I work to have great uh, a great life. Like I don't work to accumulate a, a bunch of wealth that, uh, I mean, I'd like to have money, but um, sure. so I emphasize uh, experience in my life. Uh, if you ask my wife, she would tell you that I play golf incessantly uh, and <laughs> frequently and travel the world for golf. So you're talking about that flow state and as you were just talking about that. Yeah. I was in one. I was playing around a golf in the middle of Nebraska last week. And I started off fairly mediocre, mediocrely. Oh, there poorly. goes some Minnesota a little bit. Yeah, mediocre. yeah, yeah, yeah. Poorly. And uh, <laughs> I hit that flow state and I was like, loving myself for about 12 more holes then i fell off at the end but that level of golf provides me creativity analytics and, and i love competition so i'm an yes. athlete by nature i try a lot of things golf is probably the only one that i practice incessantly to to improve i love that thank you for sharing and i agree i used to play golf as a medical student and it's one of the only things that you could do great at and bad at and you still want to keep playing because you're mad you're like if i did bad i'm going to do it again tomorrow because i know i can do better and then when you do great you're like i'm going to do it again because i know i want to do better it's so addicting yeah. the, so, the thank other you. the oh, only other thing real quick is like I, I would have to say that that that's on a personal very mic level the other thing I take, uh, I really focus on is just being dad and husband and just showing up at home. Oh, like I've had that. to, I've worked very hard on, on being uh, present uh, to, and I've got, I've got an 18 year old daughter and twins that are 14. And listen, uh, as the father of three daughters there, I'm at an age where like, they don't need a lot of me, you know, they've got friends, they've got the uh, phones, they've got a lot of other things going on, but when they do need me, man, there's nothing better than being there. Oh, that is sweet. And I agree. And I echo that I have a 20, a 17 and a 14 year old. And I agree, they've kind of leapt over into the other side where they don't need me. And but when they do, it's nice to just drop in and be sharing that space. So oh everybody's, gosh, yeah. yeah, everybody's lucky to know you, Mike, thank you so oh. much for your time. I'm going to put all these links in the show notes for everybody listening. So please reach out. Uh, Mike is doing a fantastic service with his ability to transform the culture of healthcare from sick care to human-centered care is what we need for everybody. And thank you for listening. Share this podcast with a colleague or friend. And remember, everyone's a catalyst and we are redesigning our lives. So keep coloring outside the lines. Until next time, take care. Are you feeling overwhelmed and exhausted by your busy medical practice? Are you struggling to find the energy and passion you once had? I understand especially challenges that come with burnout in the medical field. I've experienced it myself, and I've dedicated my life to helping others overcome it using the neuroscience of flow acquisition. That's why I've created a playful 10-question assessment designed to help you measure your burnout and ability to get back into flow. Come play rock, paper, scissors. Your score will be matched to a persona. Are you a rock, 
stable in your values, but difficult to motivate into action, you might avoid time management. So you're really not sure if you're making progress. Are you paper? You follow what the path should be on paper, but you might have difficulty making decisions with what matters most to you. Or are you scissors, happy to be busy, clip, clip, clipping along and smashing those goals, but you're suffering depleted energy and feeling exhausted. Your score will be tallied and you will receive a customized plan sent straight to your inbox. This catalyst compass is designed to jumpstart your journey to overcome burnout and find renewed energy. Don't let burnout take over your life. Take control today and just invest 90 seconds of your time to get your own catalyst compass. Visit drlarasalier.com forward slash catalyst and click the let's play button to unlock the path to a more balanced, passionate, and fulfilling work-life masterpiece. Thank you for listening and subscribing. If you are interested in cultivating flow, it takes practice. I've developed a three-step system that you can learn in my Catalyst Flow-Infused Time Management Guide. This free downloadable guide will help you anchor, highlight, and activate flow channeling methods so you can bend time and find more joy in your day. You can find them at drlarasalier.com forward slash links.